0: church. <laughs> Sarah's filling in for us back in the in the sound booth and so I thought it might take a minute. She? I am uh, I'm so glad to be with you this morning and we are going to be wrapping up a, a series today and this whole series has dealt with kind of two different ideas and today I'm hoping to bring them Bring them both together and help you to see clearly what it is that we've been doing. And also um, to uh, take it to our hearts. Because there are some times where we can, look at, we can look at spiritual things or we can look at the Bible and keep that kind of in this cloud idea, this up in the clouds. Like, oh, that's a thing that I'll think about a little bit, but it doesn't necessarily impact me and how I'm walking. But today I think uh, it will be difficult to get away from how the Spirit speaks through um, these texts this morning and the first question is this who is man that God is mindful of and that's that the psalmist asks in in Psalm 8 like of all the things that God has made of all the things that are on God's plate why does he care at all about mankind and why does he care about me like what is what does he care about uh, why does he care about what's going on in my life Why is he so concerned by the way that I'm living? And uh, we've found over the last several weeks that the reason God cares about us in particular is because he made humanity in his image, in his likeness. He made humanity to be like him. He made all of creation... He made all the critters on the earth, and he said, I'm going to make something different. I'm going to make something that will represent me to the rest of creation. I'm going to make man, or we're going to make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. And so there are some implications to being made in the image of God. And and that first week we explored that we were created to honor God completely in all of our relationships and in all of our work. That's what he put us here to do, and we've talked about a lot of different nuances of what that looks like. Um, and that father relationship we saw, um, God wanted to explain something, uh, or he, oh, I'm in the wrong spot, there we go. He created man in his own image, that father relationship we we talked about the limitations of that because as if we talk about God as our father we're like yeah but I want to get out of the house I want to go set up my own thing and so he's he he uses another image he he starts another course in history to explain how he wants us to interact with us and he, he set aside a nation of Israel who was just a, a, a people of slaves that had been set into slavery and he says look I'm, I'm not going to be your father to you I'm going to be your husband I'm going to I'm going to make you my bride and you're going to have this we're going to have this exclusive relationship, and the rest of the world is going to be blessed by the exclusive relationship that we have. And we talked about the relationship with God and Israel, we talked about the relationship between Jesus and the church, and we concluded that God rightly refuses to share his bride. He wants her whole affection. And last week we talked about, like, if we're created for community, as we find ourselves in community, as we find ourselves living in neighborhoods, we find ourselves living in cities and states and countries... What do we do, like how do we relate as, as images of God in our society? How do we relate with the government? And we saw that God sends us as ambassadors of his kingdom to every nation. I don't know why that one's in there. I'll just leave that there. <clears throat> We saw that God sends us as his ambassadors of his kingdom to every nation. So, Pastor Oren in Lakeland, uh, as he was working through this week, he said, you know, I think I finally have summarized all of the ideas that we've been talking about in this this next series. Because the, the one idea is, who is man that God is mindful of him? The other idea is, what does man do when he's not mindful of God? When we're not mindful of God, we end up worshiping something other than God, and the Bible word for that is idolatry. I don't know that I've quite said it in this series quite yet, so I want to say what we've been talking about is idolatry. And idolatry shows itself, in, as we go through and look at the, the text of Scripture, it shows itself in four primary ways. And so this is what Pastor Oren says. He says, Idolatry is when we put anything before God in our identity, our affection, our loyalty, and our dependence. Our identity, we're created in the image of God, and we look to God for who we are and what we're supposed to be. Our affection, we have our our first affection should be for God. Our loyalty, uh, as we find ourselves in different social and government structures, our loyalty is ultimately to the kingdom of Christ, right? And so today, we're going to explore dependence And there's not an easy way to say it, but I'm excited about it. (laughs) Um, So as we're beginning this, and even though I've got my slides all out of order, uh, I'm sure you'll forgive me, I'd like for us to pause together and pray. And we'll pray um, the disciples' prayer that Jesus left for us. It's not a magic word, this isn't a spell that's going to bring blessing into your life, but it is the model of prayer that Jesus left for us, and I think we do well to keep it in the forefront as we talk to God. And... It's helpful as we're praying together to use the same words. That's why we've got the words on the screen. So would you pray together with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So as we look at our dependence, we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 16. And I remember now why that slides in there. Exodus chapter 16 is the end of... Well, it's kind of in the middle, but it is the end of the Exodus uh, scene where God has taken this group of slaves that have been uh, in sub- subjugation. They've been subjected under Pharaoh, and he says, Look, I want you guys to be exclusive to me. I'm going to be your husband. I'm going to bring you out, and you're going to worship me. He brings them out. He, they cross the Red Sea, remember? They destroy the whole army of tanks, the strongest army in the world at the time, just completely obliterated. And, and chapter 16 in Exodus... Uh, is right after they have crossed through the Red Sea, they've been delivered from a military battle that they could never, ever, ever have won. Uh, in fact, Exodus 15 is all a song that they wrote about how great is it that that just happened because we were doomed if God had not stepped in. Like God is awesome. God's so great. We're so grateful for God. Exodus 16. And if you want to follow along in these blue Bibles here, it's on page 72. But Exodus chapter 16, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know... That, the, that it was the Lord, Yahweh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So we'll pause there. They had just been miraculously delivered. they just walked through the Red Sea. They'd just seen a huge army of tanks completely obliterated. They just had a, a fantastic worship gathering, a worship celebration of how awesome God was working in the world. And and here's the thing. If you are an unprotected people, we talked about some of the things last week that, that Israel needed in order to become a nation. They needed land, which they're on their way to go to, But but somebody pointed out they needed an army. They're not an army. They don't have one. And they don't really have weapons to be able to defend themselves. And so one of the graces that God shows to them is he actually leads them to a place where there are no other nations occupying that would want to harass them or that would really want to to deal with them. And so he takes them into the desert. So the pros of being in the desert is, there's nobody there. They're not going to beat us up. We don't have to compete with anybody, right? The cons of being in a desert is, It's a desert. There's nothing there. There's no food. There's no water. And so Israel really quickly is like, Hey, um, we're hungry. There's a lot of us out here. And, uh, why did you bring us out here if you were going to take us into the desert? Like, I thought we were going to, I thought we were going to start something new. I thought like we were going to a land flowing with milk and honey. Like, this is a desert. I'm hungry. It would have been better if we'd have just stayed slaves in Egypt. And it's qu- it's amazing to me how quickly we—I think Israel's doing it, but I know I would do it too. It's amazing how quickly we like look at history through rose-colored glasses. Wasn't it great when we were in slavery? Like, wasn't that awesome? You remember how much food we had? Like, that's how you know they're like super hungry because they're like, remember how much food we had when we were in slavery and they were making us work twice as hard? Like, that was great, right? Sure. <clears throat> so they're complaining. All right. And they complained to the leadership, to Moses and Aaron. They don't, like, uh, we've talked about it before. Um, I'm not sure how much the average Israelite in Egypt that was coming out really knew who Moses and Aaron were at this time. They just knew that these guys showed up, that all these plagues happened, and now they're leaving with their families. And so now they're hungry, and they're saying, why'd you bring us out here? What is it? What do you want? What do you want from me? Like, I want to go back home. I want to go where there's actually something to eat, not out here in this desert. And the Lord says, all right, look, I'm going to rain bread from heaven. I'm going to make it rain. They're going to go out every day, and they're going to gather a day's portion that I may test them, whether or not they'll walk in my law. So at the very beginning, God says, look, like, I've got to teach you something. You guys have had 400 years. You, you have a way that you know how things work. You, you, have, a, 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 you have habits that you've grown accustomed to. They're, they're slave habits, like they're, they're things that you know have learned from oppression, but I'm gonna set you free, and now you have to learn how to be a free person. Like, I don't know if you've ever talked with somebody who had been incarcerated for a long, long time and then suddenly they're free. That freedom can be crushing. What do I do with my day? There's nobody to tell me what the schedule is. I can just go and take a shower whenever I want. Like, like I don't know what to do with all of this. And we, especially in America, where we have like 9,000 options of what brand of toilet paper we want to use, like those options and that freedom can just be overwhelming to somebody who hasn't done it. And God says, look, I'm going to make this easy for you. I want you to walk with me me. I'm not, I'm not worried about Moses and Aaron. Like I'm going to use them, but like I want you, y'all, to walk with me. This is going to be something that Moses and Aaron cannot do. They are not rainmakers. They cannot control the weather. And if they could control the weather, they're not cloudy with a chance of meatballs. I'm going to make it rain bread. And you're going to go and you're going to get the bread that you need for today. That sounds familiar. I'm going to go and get. you're going to get the bread that you need for today, and that's what you're going to eat. And then tomorrow, you're going to go and get bread that you need for the day. And then the next day, you're going to go and you're going to get bread that you need for the day, and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make these flock of stupid birds fly in at night, and they'll just walk around and you'll just kill them. You'll have meat to eat. And then in the morning, you'll have bread. I'm going to take care of you. Yahweh, the Lord, me, I am doing this. I may be speaking through those men, but those men do not have the ability to do what I am going to do for you for the next forty years, every single day. Do we look elsewhere for a provision that comes from God? What's interesting is like they're 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 frustrated and they're talking to Moses and Aaron and they're saying, "Why didn't you bring us any food?" what, what stores do they have? Do they have caravans of donkeys that are coming behind them? Like, are they, sitting, are they sitting on top of a big stack of bread and they're going to Moses and Aaron and say, well, you've got all that bread. Why aren't you sharing with us? Like, no, they're, they're out there too. They also are in the desert. But they're going to Moses and Aaron and they're complaining to them, do we look elsewhere for provision that God gives? We look, we look at our, our, what we feel is our deficiencies and we say, I need to get that from... And God's over there saying, it only comes from me. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's continue reading in verse 13. We'll jump down that page 73 a little bit. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, Uh, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack each of them gathered as much as he could eat and Moses said to them let no one leave any of it over till morning but they did not listen to Moses some left part of it till morning and it bred worms and stank and Moses was angry with them morning by morning they gathered gathered it each as much as he could eat but when the sun grew hot it melted so here's a, a meteorological phenomenon that is literally putting food on the table of these these guys. They go out and they gather bread. It says when they measured it with an omer, which makes me think that as they went on, they stopped measuring it, and they got less precise with how much they took in. Um, but it when they measured it with an omer, everybody who gathered an omer, like no matter what, if you gathered an omer for every person in your house, you had exactly what you needed for that day, and you ate and were full, as much as you could eat, which actually, in in their time is really unusual. Like we are we're Americans, like we're used to eating as much as we can eat three times a day. But for people throughout the course of history, like eating a full meal where you ate till you were full was maybe like three times a year if you were lucky at feast times. But here they are in a desert eating as much as they can eat every day. <laughs> it's funny, it shows up in the uh what is it? Mana it's that's the Hebrew. Mana. What is it? So, the bread, they just called it, what is it? I don't know what it is. Um, if you ever had kids, like toddlers, at a, at a dinner table, you know that this, this conversation never goes well. <laughs> what is it? Uh, it's dinner. <sighs> I don't want dinner. <laughs> you know? But they end up, they eat it. And I don't know whether they enjoyed it. They ate it for a long time. It seems like they eventually got tired of it. But they ate it. They had everything that they needed. Maybe it wasn't their preference maybe they didn't like the menu choices day after day but they had what they needed if they gathered more it didn't last it wouldn't keep the night and that makes sense right like these are these are people who are coming out of an, oppres- uh, an oppressive like thing. They don't trust people who are in leadership. And God's saying, I need you to trust me. And they're saying, I don't trust you. So I'm gonna gather more in case like this doesn't happen again tomorrow. And and that makes sense logically. But God says, I need you to understand I will walk with you day by day. You do not need more for today than today can handle. Only take what you can gather or only take what you can do today. Do we trust God to take care of us? Do we trust God to take care of us? He may or may not give us what we prefer, but I suspect that he'll give us what we need. The following verses um, in chapter 16 are going to teach them about Sabbath, actually. And so what's going to happen is on on Friday, they're going to gather twice as much as they need, and they're going to keep half of it overnight, which it doesn't work the rest of the week if you keep extra. But, But on Friday, if you keep extra, it will last until the next day. And so that way they don't have to go out and they don't have to work on Saturday. The next verses are teaching them about Sabbath. is that I am in control, I am taking care of you, and you don't have to work the whole time. You also need to rest and it's a principle I'm afraid we've moved too far away from. We're not created to work seven days a week. But God as a gift to us, has, has given us systems of rest. And so he teaches them about that. Do we trust God to take care of us or do we work as if everything depends upon us? All we have and all we need are good gifts from God. Oh, that's the manna. Sorry. All we have and all we need are good gifts from God. You say, yeah, all I have, all all I have, that's a good gift from God. Like, I've got a lot of stuff. Those are good blessings. All we need, dependence, is also a gift from God. Because here's the thing. God knows that if you could do it by yourself, you would. God knows that if I can do it by myself, then I'm going to. And sometimes even when I can't, I'm going to die trying to do it by myself. All we have and all that we need are good gifts from God. Our needs that continually bring us back to him are gifts. There's a common phrase, uh, and it's twisting scripture just slightly enough that it's not true anymore. There's There's a common phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not true. If he didn't give you more than you could handle, then you'd have no need for him. But all that we have and all that we need are good gifts from God. All right, cool. Michael, that's Exodus. That's Old Testament. I'm not sure I believe all that. Like, I don't know how you get through the covenants and blah, blah, blah. And You haven't even said anything about Jesus yet. Cool, let's talk about Jesus. I want to go to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to turn there. You can also navigate there. To Matthew chapter 6. It's on page 1012 in these blue Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, Jesus, in uh, this sermon, uh, is probably, or it's the longest sermon recorded in Scripture, and probably the most well-known. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It begins in chapter 5 of, of Matthew. And it's a collection of a lot of different teachings of Jesus. Um, it probably is a summary of most of what he taught as he went through and, and, and was teaching. And And here... He grabs a hold of our heart. Here's here's something that I have learned. What we spend our money on indicates what we value. It's easy to say that I value um, it's easy to say that I value good food or good coffee, but if I keep going and buying the Folgers off of the off of the shelf, then what I spend has indicated what I value. I don't actually value good coffee. I'm I'm good with with whatever I can get off the shelf. And the bottom line, I think, is in 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life is more than meeting our basic needs. Shelter and food, lodging, like, that's our basic needs. But life, living life, is more than meeting our basic needs. You can have your basic needs met and still die of loneliness. The, the pandemic has actually increased, uh, had have a, have a dramatic increase in numbers of deaths of people from dementia. And doctors, medical doctors, are writing down cause of death is loneliness. Because the nursing homes that they were in were closed down, people couldn't come and visit them. And people whose mind is weak and fragile need those relationships to be able to continue on. Is not life more than clothing? More than a paycheck? And God knows our needs, and he's a good father. If he knows what you need and he's a good father, is he going to take care of us? James chapter 1 says that everything we enjoy is a good gift from God. So do we trust God to take care of us? Like birds at a feeder all through the winter. We don't have winter here. In Virginia, we have winter. And uh, when it snows, there's nothing to eat. And so you'll find people that will put bird seed out in the winter, and then birds will kind of stick around and they'll have somewhere to eat. Um, it's not necessarily great for their migratory patterns, but it's something that people do. And uh, <laughs> do we trust God to take care of our needs like basic needs and there's a a degree of um, me being out of my depth here because I'm I'm stepping near to uh, some mental illness issues And so I don't know that what Jesus is talking about, the degree of anxiety that Jesus is talking about, is necessarily something that we would medically diagnose. But I do think that there is a degree of anxiety that all of us carry, that the bottom's getting ready to fall out, the other shoe is getting ready to drop. Not not necessarily the mental illness, but like a general anxiety of, like, I don't know if I can function. I don't know if God's going to take care of me. He says, why are you worried about these things? I know that you need them. I may not be able to give you, or I may choose not to give you your preferences, but you're going to have what you need. You might eat the same flavor every day for 40 years, but I know what you need, and I'm walking with you. My grace is new every morning. One of my favorite philosophers um, is Rich Mullins, and he writes, everybody, everybody I know says they need just one thing. And what they really mean is that they need just one thing more. And everybody seems to think that they've got it coming. And an entitlement that we have. I just need one thing. I just need one thing. And really what we're saying is I just need one more thing. And how many mores is it before you have enough? But walking with Jesus and trusting God is walking in satisfaction. I have what I need for today. And that anxiety that God's not going to take care of us, God calls that idolatry. In other places in in, in the Hebrew scriptures, the prophets are going to call Israel out for their lack of faith in Yahweh to provide for them at that moment where he was raining bread from heaven. That was the beginning of their not trusting him for all that they needed. And that was the beginning of their idolatry. They literally stepped out of the Red Sea and took another step back into idolatry. And for us, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 both call covetousness, greed, not trusting God to provide for us, they straight out call that idolatry. Idolatry is when we put anything before God in our identity, our affection, our loyalty, or our dependence. On whom will we depend? Do we look elsewhere for the satisfaction that only God gives? And there's a thousand different ways that we answer that. Our hearts are quick to, to worship the created things rather than the Creator. And so I just ask you to turn to God for your satisfaction. Your job won't be able to do it, your family won't be able to do it, your education won't be able to do it. These things are accomplishments and achievements, but they can't bring satisfaction. All that we have and all that we need are good gifts from God. Cool. Michael, I get it. Like, be satisfied. Be content with what you got. Like, Jesus is not greedy. I understand. Cool. Here's the thing. Jesus actually starts this sermon talking about happiness, which I think is really interesting. Because usually if a preacher starts a sermon talking about how to be happy, like, I get real skeptical real quick. But Jesus does it in the Sermon on the Mount. So maybe I should be less skeptical. And in Matthew chapter 5, he opens this sermon saying, Blessed, blessed are, happy are, the people who want to find happiness in life. This is, these are descriptions of them. And I'm going to close with this because I think it's a challenge uh, that we need to keep in the forefront of our mind. As we order our life and prioritize our life, as we go through our week, as we wake up in the morning and have that pile of things to get done, where does Jesus point us towards for happiness? when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Church, neighbors, all we have and all we need are good gifts from God. Would you pray with me? God, we need you. You know that. We're pretty quick to forget. And we thank you for that need. We thank you that you continue to put things in our path that cause us to lean upon you. So Lord, in our weakness, would you make a strong... Our weakness to save ourselves. You've you've sent your son to stand in the gap, to win the battle that we could never win, to save us from the slavery of sin. And God, now having been delivered, we have to learn a a new habit. We have to learn new ways to get through life. Not as slaves to sin, but as sons of you. So, Lord, would you give us the wisdom and discernment to know how to walk in this liberty, this freedom that you've given? Would you guard our hearts against the temptation to fall back into worshiping anything other than you, to look to anything else for our identity other than you, to look to anything else. Put anything else first in our affections. That our loyalty would be to you and your kingdom first over any other place that we might serve or, or be a part of. And that we'd look to you first and depend upon you for all that we need. All that we want. You're good. Please remind us how good you are. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.